This program was founded on certain ideals. They have been drowned by the noise and distraction of fame. We got lost, caught up in the hype, the celebrity, the glory, and the relentless pressure to keep the streak alive. Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you. Good morning, folks across the street at the video venue and all of you folks who are joining us online. We're so glad you're a part of our service today. If you've got a Bible, I want you to grab it and go to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. When you get to 1 Peter, just find chapter 1, and we're going to spend some time uh, this morning in just a little while. We're going to spend some time in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And while you're turning there, uh, let me just say this. Let's just all begin together today by acknowledging the truth that there can be times when problems come into our lives that we didn't create and that we can't control. That's just an undeniable part of living in this world. And oftentimes those problems have the power to impact our lives in significant ways. That's essentially the story behind the movie, When the Game Stands Tall. I don't know if you saw the movie or not. If you have never seen it, I would really recommend that you see it. It's a wonderful movie. It's a great family movie. It's based on a true story that tells about how legendary football coach Bob Latticer took the De La Salle High School Spartans in Concord, California from complete obscurity to a record-setting 151-game winning streak, a winning streak that shattered all other winning streaks in any American sport. But as with everything in life, and I know that you know this, nothing lasts forever. And in the end, he and his team learned that it's what you do with the losses that build your character and shape you far more than what you do with the victories. And so the movie begins at the end of the 2003-2004 football season where De La Salle has just won their 151st consecutive game. The streak, as it's come to be known, has become everything to this school, everything to this town, and everything to these players. But in the off-season, after that 151st win, in the off-season, the problems begin to come, and they start with Coach Latticer. We see that in this next clip. Hey, 
I'm just gonna nap for 10 more minutes, then get up. Don't snore. So Coach Lattiser has a heart attack. His doctor tells him that he has over 80% blockage in that artery in his heart that's known as the Widowmaker, but he survives. Uh, the really bad news for his team is that his doctor says he won't be able to coach the following season. It's a huge, huge blow to them, but it's just the beginning of the problems. Because the next thing that happens is the team suffers a great loss when one of their graduating seniors, one of the most talented players to ever come through the De La Salle football program, a young man on his way to play Division I football, is killed in a random shooting when he just happens to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, and that deeply impacts his team. We see that in this next clip. First, uh, first time I saw TK, he was that uh, awkward freshman, all arms and legs with an infectious smile. Our coach couldn't help but notice the smooth grace of his athletic ability. People always ask me what it's like to never lose. Today I am lost. It's as if life has taken more than it gives, and I don't know if I can handle it. Lord, I'm struggling. I want to understand why. Why, Terrence? Why now? But I know if we are to call ourselves Christians, we cannot ask these questions because to do so is to question your benevolence, your divine wisdom. But today I am lost. Mr. Kelly, T. Graham, I can't even imagine your pain right now. But you raised the kind of young man we all strive for. 
We ask our players to learn and embrace ideals, perfection, commitment, compassion, brotherhood, faith. From the first time TK came across that field, I saw a kid whose grace wasn't just athletic, but genuine in so many ways. He embodied those ideals. You never gave up on anything or anyone. And I did not teach you. You taught me. Thank you. Because when on some other day I am lost and struggling to keep my faith, I need only remember you. And for reasons we are not privy to, God wanted TK home. He is with him now. May God bless you. And then the problems continue when the inevitable happens, and in the first game of the 2004-2005 season, De La Salle does something they hadn't done in 151 consecutive games. They lost. I truly believe that life's most impressionable lessons are ones where something bad happens to you or something challenging confronts you. I know it can climb into your head and hear what that little voice is saying to you. Is it saying, oh no, we lost the streak? Well, what's it going to say? <clears throat> After today, you're going to find out a lot about yourselves. And you know something? We're all going to find out what this team is made of. The New Testament letter of 1 Peter was written to people who were more than a little familiar with problems. Peter actually uses the word trials. It was written by Peter to a group of Christians who were scattered across Asia Minor because of a horrific persecution they were enduring. And the latter part of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6 really gives us an idea of what they were going through. Peter says to them, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The words all kinds in my NIV Bible come from a single word in the original language of the New Testament. It's the Greek word poikilos, and literally means many colored. We get the English word polka dot from the Greek word poikilos. And what Peter is telling his readers is, I know you're going through all kinds of problems right now. And while he's talking primarily about the persecution they were enduring, his use of the word poikilos pretty much includes any kind of problem or trial you can think of. And that shouldn't surprise us because the Bible never tries to deceive us about the reality of life being filled with problems, life being filled with trials and difficulty. 
And no one is immune. It doesn't matter who you are. Do you remember how Jesus ends or concludes the most famous sermon that he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount? He concludes by telling a story of two men who built a house, one built on rock and one built on sand. But the thing that they had in common beyond both of them building a house is a storm came that challenged and threatened the foundation of their lives. One was a wise man. One was a foolish man. There were differences between the two, but it didn't matter. The storm came for both of them. This is the reality of life. I didn't put this down on the PowerPoint, but just a little bit earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 and verse 45, Jesus basically says that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He says the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is the reality of life. You can't look at someone just indiscriminately and say, well, you're someone who's destined for trouble and you're someone who's not. Trouble comes into all of our lives, different shapes, different sizes, but it comes for all of us. This is the part of life. That's why Jesus told his own disciples in John 16, 33, he said, in this life, you'll have trouble. This is the reality of life for all of us. We face a variety of different kinds of problems. But fortunately, the Bible tells us how we are to respond when those problems come. It gives us a variety of passages that teach us and instruct us about how to react and respond to problems. This passage in 1 Peter is one of them. So if you've got your Bible open there to 1 Peter 1, wherever you are, I want to invite you to stand with me like we always do in reverence and respect for God's Word. And you follow along, (coughs) excuse me, you follow along as I read read verses 3 through 9. Peter writes and says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, verse 6, by the way, is the key verse for our study this morning. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, there it is. May God add His blessing to the reading of His words. You can be seated. This morning, I look at that passage of Scripture, I think about the reality of problems coming into all of our lives in different shapes and sizes, and I am reminded or I am taught that there's three things that I need to remember when problems come. If you're taking notes, write down next to number one, the first one. We need to remember when problems come, we need to remember it's only temporary. Write that down next to number one. It's only temporary. I'm not going to go through this passage chronologically. So look back with me at verse 6 again, which remember I said was the key verse in our text. Peter says, remember, he's writing to people who are going through a terrible, terrible time of persecution. He writes to them and he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The key phrase obviously is the phrase, though now for a little while, for a little while. What's Peter doing here? He's telling his readers, reminding his readers that the problems they're facing today are not going to last forever. And friends, that's something that all of us need to remember. Whatever we're facing today, it's not going to last forever. And here's why we know that's true. If you go back to verse 6 
and you read it again, but this time you don't stop at the end and you go all the way down through verse 7, you get the reason why we know that's true. He said, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And then here's verse 7, these, talking about the trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Here's what Peter's saying. He's saying the problems that you're facing today are not going to last forever. They've not come into your life to take away your joy, to take away your happiness. They've come into your life for a specific reason. And when that reason is accomplished, you're going to experience an even greater joy, an even greater blessing in your life. That's what's really behind those words in verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When problems come into our lives, we need to remind ourselves that they're not going to last forever. Whatever it is, whatever you're dealing with today, it's only temporary. It's not going to last forever. And we can, be, we can be dealing with a variety of different problems today. You know, an interesting thing that we read here in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 6, Peter uses the word trials. We're talking about when problems come. Peter's talking about, he uses the word trials. It's an interesting word in the original language of the New Testament. It's the Greek word pirasmos. We'll put it up on the screen so you can see it. And literally, it basically just means test. Fundamentally, a pirasmos is simply a test. But here's the really interesting thing about this verse. Sometimes, or excuse me, this word, sometimes when you encounter this word pirasmos in your New Testament, it is translated trials. That's the way it's translated here in 1 Peter 1 and verse 6. Sometimes when you encounter this word pirasmos in your New Testament, it's translated temptation. For example, in James chapter 1, if we just turn a couple of pages back, James chapter 1 and verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, and it's the Greek word pirasmos, but James translates it as trials. If you go down a little bit later in James chapter 1 and verse 13, the verse begins by saying, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Same Greek word, pirasmos, but now it's translated as tempted or tempting. A little bit later, temptation. Same word, Greek word, pirasmos. Fundamentally, it means a test. Sometimes when you encounter it in the New Testament, it's translated trials. Sometimes it's translated temptations. What's the difference? The difference is the setting. The difference is the context. When God sends or allows a, a test to come into your life for the purpose of strengthening your faith, you know what it is? It's a trial. When Satan brings a test into your life for the purpose of trying to destroy your faith, you know what it is? It's a temptation. So this is what we remember. The difference between whether or not a parasmos, a test in our life, is a trial or a temptation is who sends it and what the intent is of the one sending it. Now, let me ask you a question. Having said all that, isn't this the reality of all of our lives every day? Don't we face tests in our lives on a daily basis? And sometimes those tests come in the form of trials, and sometimes those tests come in the form of temptations, but the bottom line is they are there. Well, here's what I want you to understand. Regardless of whether or not that test comes in the form of a trial or a temptation, it will not last forever. It's only temporary. And that's what you've got to remember, and that's what you've got to hang on to. When you turn to God, 
in a test that is a trial and you trust Him in the midst of the trial and you allow Him to give you the strength to meet the trial and grow through the trial, the trial comes to an end. When you turn to God in the midst of a temptation, a test that's in the form of a temptation and you resist the devil because you receive the strength you need from God to resist the devil and to resist the temptation, it ends. Now, it might come back again because, you know, Satan doesn't just tempt us once and then leave us alone for the rest of our lives, does he? Does he do that for you? Because if he does that for you, I'm going to be really, really ticked off because he doesn't do it for me. I always say the temptations are like standing on the beach uh, uh, and having the waves of the ocean come in, and they come in, and they go out, and then what happens? They come in, and they go out, and they come in, and they go out. That's the, the relentless way that temptation comes into our lives. But the Bible promises us that when we turn to God and we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. So the temptation doesn't have to last forever. It might come back. I'm sure it will. Maybe in the same form, maybe in another form, but it won't last in the moment forever. In fact, look at these verse, this verse on the screen from James chapter 4 and verse 7. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Read it with me. Let me hear your voices. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I love the last part of that verse, don't you? And he will flee from you. But the bottom line is, when a test comes into your life, when problems come, when a test comes into your life, whether it comes in the form of a trial or a temptation, it will not last forever. It might feel like it in the moment, but it will not last forever. It won't. And we've got to find a way. As Christians, we've got to find a way to believe that. We've got to find a way to remember that because if we don't, then when those tests come, they will appear to be so much bigger than they really are. So we need to remember that. They won't last forever. Here's the second thing that Peter tells his readers, and by virtue of the Bible tells us that we need to remember when tests, when problems come, it doesn't have to make me miserable. Write down that truth next to number two. It doesn't have to make me miserable. And again, I go back to verse six. I told you it's the key verse in our text this morning. Peter says, in this... You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you, have had, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, that's the key verse, but I want to look at a little bit of a different aspect of that verse before we talked about it from the perspective of it, uh, though now for a little while, and the truth that these problems, these tests don't last forever. But let's think about the way the verse begins. Peter begins by saying, in this, you greatly rejoice. What's he talking about? What's Peter talking about when he says, in this you greatly rejoice? He's talking about all the good things that God has done for these readers, for his readers. And in the context of the passage, remember we're looking at verses 3 through 9. We're just not looking at it chronologically. In the context of this passage, you see a pretty significant list of the good things God had done for them. Peter gives them that list in verses 3 through 5. Look at that section with me one more time. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He talks to them first before he talks to them about the fact that they're going through this time of problems, this time of testing, this time of trials for a little while. He talks to them about all the good things, all the blessings of God, even in the midst of that. I made my own list of what he uh, writes about there, and I put it in my own words. 
He talked to them about the truth that they had received God's mercy in the first part of verse 3. He talked to them about how they had been given a new birth in the middle part of verse 3, about how they had been given a living hope through Christ's resurrection in the latter part of verse 3. In verse 4, he talked about how they had an eternal inheritance that could not be destroyed. And in verse 5, he talked about the truth that they were, they were protected by God's power until the end of time. Now, here's the deal. If all of those things are true, and we believe they are, right? Everyone say right. Everything God says is true, right? If all those things are true, then basically, fundamentally, what Peter is saying to his readers is don't let the temporary problems, the temporary trials of the day cause you to lose the blessing of what God has done for you that you can never lose, that is constant all the time. But isn't that what we do? so much of the time. It's just human nature for us to focus more on the trial and the problem than the blessing. It's just human nature. But we have got to remember that no matter what happens to us in our lives, there's still the goodness of God that we hang on to. It's an old story. It's not a new story or a contemporary story, but it's timeless in its truth. During World War II, Dr. Viktor Frankl and his entire family were imprisoned by the Nazis because they were Jewish. And Dr. Frankl watched systematically as his parents, his wife, and his children were killed in the Holocaust. And at one point, while he was there still just alone now, the prison guards cut his wedding band off of his finger as a way of trying to break him. And this was his response. He said, you can take away my family, you can strip me of my clothes and my freedom, but there is one thing no person can ever take from me, my freedom to choose how I will react to what's happening to me. And so here's the lesson. When we face problems, when tests, whether they be in the form of a trial or a temptation, come into our lives, we may not be able to do anything about the problem. We may not have done anything to cause the problem. We may not be able to do anything about it immediately beyond trusting God, but it does not have to make us miserable. It doesn't have to steal our joy. We can remember the goodness of God and the blessing of God, even in the midst of the problem. Abraham Lincoln once said, a person is as happy as he makes up his mind to be. I know that sounds simple, and I know it even sounds trite, but it's true. We have the ability to choose how we respond to the problems, the tests of life. And Peter tells us that even though there might be times in our lives when we suffer grief, in all kinds of trials, we still have reason to rejoice because of God's goodness toward us. And if we can remember that, then no problem that we face has the ability to take away our joy. You know, I'm sure that you're just like me and that you go through periods of time where you struggle with your prayer life. You know, I try to make time to pray daily, a significant time to just focus on nothing but praying, not being distracted by anything else. But sometimes I'm, sometimes I get distracted. Sometimes it doesn't work out the way that I intend it to. And it's in moments like that that I'm so thankful for Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he reminds us that we need to pray without ceasing. Aren't you glad? Because I talk to God all throughout the day, don't you? Everywhere I'm at, everything I'm doing, I talk to God. And a lot of times I pray while I'm driving. That might sound funny to you. I'm not praying for the other drivers. 
I'm not praying that I will, I'm not praying that I won't lose my testimony or my witness while I'm driving. I'm just talking to God. The other day I was driving to St. Francis Hospital to see a man in our church who's got a pretty significant test going on in his life right now. Problems come into his life. Nothing he did to invite the problem, and honestly, nothing he can do about it in the moment. And it just made me think about him and how long I've known him and his wife. I married them several years ago, and my heart was heavy for them. It's made me think about other situations in life and in my life and the lives of people I know where I got a whole lot more questions than I have answers. You ever find yourself there? And I'm thinking about God, and I'm thinking about what God is doing and how He's, how he's working in this or how He's working through this, and I'm just focused on the negative. I'm just focused on the problem. That's all I'm thinking about, and I'm feeling more burdened with every thought that goes through my mind. And in that moment, I get this conviction that even though that I've got those questions, even though I'm so burdened by this man in our church and his situation, even though I've got issues in my life, I can't forget the goodness of God. And so I just begin to pray over and over again, God, I know you're good. I know you're good. Help me to remember that when the problems come. And that's a prayer that we all need to pray. God, I know you're good. And in my mind, I mentally just begin to make a list of all the reasons why I know God is good. He's good because of the way he's poured his love and his grace and his mercy in my life and the way he saved me. And I shudder to think about what my life would have been like apart from that. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about what your life would have been like apart from God's love and grace and mercy that saved you? Where you'd be today, what you'd be doing? And I thought about the blessings that he poured into my life, my wife, my children, my daughter-in-law, my grandchildren, the churches that I've served, the wonderful friends that I have, the ministry experiences that I have, and I'm just ticking them off, listing them one by one by one as I'm driving down the road, and I come back to my prayer, God, I know you're good. I know you're good. I know you're good. Help me to remember that. Remind me of that when the problems come. Because when they come, they don't have to make us miserable. That's what Peter was telling his readers. That's why he said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What is it? All of us needs to make a list of all those things that we greatly rejoice in no matter what. Right down next to number three. The third thing that I get from this text and this is not new. This is not dramatic. I'm probably not telling you something that you don't already know because you've heard it so many times before, but I'm telling you that in our lives, so much of the time as believers, we don't need to learn something new. We just need to be reminded of something we already know. The pro this problem will help me grow. That's the third thing. This problem will help me go, grow. You know, there's a principle in Scripture that many of us try to resist, but it can't be sidestepped. It can't be avoided. The principle is pain precedes growth. You should write that down in your notes. Pain precedes growth. It's virtually impossible to have any significant growth in your life without some level of pain. I sometimes wish that weren't true. I wish that pleasure caused growth, but it seldom does. People who are involved in physical fitness or physical training or athletic pursuits have a saying. They say, no pain, no gain. And that's not just a catchy slogan. That's a biblical slogan. 
There is no gain in our lives, spiritually speaking, apart from the pain of discipline, apart from the pain of perseverance, apart from the pain of self-denial, and you can go on and on and on. Just like every workout makes an athlete a little stronger, every problem, every trial, every temptation, every test we endure and overcome makes us stronger too, spiritually speaking. That's why Peter says, again in verse 7, these trials, these tests, pirasmos, these tests, these trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's why towards the end of the verse, or the end of the passage rather, he goes on to just encourage these believers in regard to their faith and their trust in God, that God's got something good in mind. He says in verse 8, though you do not see Him, now you believe in Him. Or excuse me, though you, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible glorious joy for you are receiving here it is for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls the tests that come into our lives whether they be in the form of trial or temptation can help us grow you know the bible is filled with that instruction literally the bible is filled with that instruction the bible tells us for example that no matter what test comes into our lives we can overcome it we can overcome it Look at these words on the screen, familiar words, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Paul writes and says, no temptation, by the way, it's a Greek word, parasmos. Remember our word? Test. Either comes in the form of a trial or a temptation. He said, no temptation, no parasmos has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, when you are tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You know what, I don't know if this will ring a bell of familiarity with you or not, but years ago, I used to watch a television show called 30-something, 30-something, probably back in the, I can't remember, maybe the 80s. It was a television show, this drama about a television show about these 30, these whiny 30-something yuppies, you know, and how they dealt with all the drama in their life. It entertained me for some reason. There was an episode where one of the characters' mothers had died, and the priest told her that God would not give her anything she wasn't strong enough to handle. And this was her response. She said, does that mean if I were a weaker person, my mother would still be alive? But you and I know that's not the way it works. That's not the right way to look at the problem. God doesn't give us problems to match our strength. God gives us strength to match our what? Problems. This is how it works. So no pirasmos, no test is going to come into your life. The Bible promises that you can't overcome. That's something that we need to remember because it helps us remember that we can grow through the tests. We need to remember that God's promised that He can work out every test for our good. Isn't that the essence of one of the most... Comforting verses in the Bible, Paul writes in Romans 8 and verse 28 and says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and be called according to His purpose. We might not see it in the moment. I'll be the first one to say it might not be evident in any way, shape, or form in the moment, but it's the promise of the Scriptures. And we see that in biblical characters from cover to cover. You know, my favorite Old Testament character is the Old Testament character Joseph. I love Joseph. I love his faith and his faithfulness through one tragic 
turn after another in his life, sold into slavery as a boy, sold as a slave in the home of a, of a Jewish official, or excuse me, an Egyptian official in Egypt as he's torn from his home and accused of sexual assault, falsely accused by sexual, of sexual assault by that Jewish, or that Egyptian official's wife, thrown into prison, languishing in prison. I mean, just everything about his story just seemed disastrous. And yet, when you get to the end, his story unfolds from Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis chapter 50. When you get to the end, you see that God, he's been at work behind the scenes all along. And yeah, it was difficult. And yeah, it was a struggle. And the tests were huge trials and temptations. And yet in the end, God was able to make Joseph into who he wanted him to be and use him not just to save thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, but also to accomplish the advancement of his plan for his own children. Every test can work out for our best. We don't always see it in the moment. But this, friends, is the promise of Scripture. When problems come, when problems come, they don't last forever. They don't have to make us miserable. And they do have the ability to help us grow. In the movie, When the Game Stands Tall, Coach Latticer, when he came back, to coach. He had a dramatic recovery from his heart attack, and even before the season began, the doctor that was caring for him flipped and told him that he would be able to do anything that he had done before, and so he went back to coaching. They lost their first game of the 2004-2005 season. They went in to lose their second game of the 2004 and 2005 season. So they went from a winning streak of 151 games to now a losing streak of two games. And when they stood on the precipice of their third game, which was against the number one ranked high school team in the country, they faced a huge challenge. But Coach Latticer saw that the challenge before him was much more than making them better players or making them a better team. The challenge was to find a way to help them become better men, better young men to help them understand the value of unity and teamwork and caring for your brother and putting the needs of someone else above your own. The challenge of their individual lives because in the movie, the storyline of the movie, some of the individual players had their own stories. He embraced the challenge. He took his team to spend time around wounded veterans so that they could see what a real problem looked like. A real problem was not losing a football game. A real problem was losing an arm or a leg or a part of your life as you served your country. And then he poured into them the value of teamwork and unity and brotherhood. And all of his efforts came to a head on the night before the biggest game when they were going to face that number one ranked football team, Long Beach Poly. They had a team meeting, and some of them shared what they had learned. Let's watch this. Last clip. My brother was captain of the 2000 team. In four years, he never lost one game. When we blew the streak, I couldn't look him in the eye. I'm done with that. Everything we've been through since Coach Lutz's heart attack was for a reason to bring us together. I love you guys. I will die on that field before I let you down. Collapse, not die. 
It's just a high school football game. I've been on this team four years. I've never once played a varsity football game. I mean, I'm not good enough. And that's okay, because the greatest moments of my life were the times I've spent on this team with you guys. I've never been prouder of anything than being a Spartan. When we first watched Polly's film, and I saw Buster Matthews, I was scared. Then I remember something Coach Ladd told us on my first day of practice. Face your fears. That night I pasted Buster's name and his number on my ceiling above my bed. And every night since, no matter how tired I was, I've been saying, Buster Matthews, number 79, you are mine. A hundred times every night. I promise you guys, we're not gonna lose because of Buster Matthews. My old man's insane. My mom used to keep him in line, but he wore out. Once I made the team, I thought it'd be better. I became an animal. thing is, what, what saved me was being on this team. I used to play as hard as I could because I thought that would make him happy. And then I'd be happy. You guys love me whether I'm scoring touchdowns or not. I was missing that, and you guys gave it to me. I could never repay you for that. Come tomorrow. I don't play for him. I play for you. Welcome. Well, the good news is De La Salle beat Long Beach Poly, and they went undefeated for the rest of the season, won another championship. When it was all said and done, those young men had learned so much more about life through the difficulties, through losing, than they ever had won, had learned rather through winning. I don't know what it might be in your life today, here in this room, across the street, wherever you might be online, but I know that we have tests that come into our lives on almost a daily basis, problems. Problems come. Sometimes they take the, sh the shape of trials, sometimes temptations, but we just need to remember fundamental truths. They won't last forever. They don't have to make you miserable. And they can help you grow. And so my message to conclude with is nothing new, nothing dramatic, but something we all need to be reminded of every single day. And that is this. Our only choice in life, whatever the day brings, is to trust God.